Hi, I'm Melina Morrison, CEO of the Business Council of Cooperatives and Mutuals. Welcome to our Cooperative Farming podcast series. Cooperative farming is designed to support farmers, fishers and foresters through the formation of new farming cooperatives and to foster the resilience and growth of developing farm cooperatives. In today's episode, Emma Robinson. Emma's massive 55,000 hectare farm is based in the remote area of Charters Towers in northern Queensland. She's a big believer that farmers who share insights, knowledge and work together can thrive even in such isolated environments. So much so, she founded the Beef Collaboration Project. Its vision is to make their local farming community more sustainable through optimising members' production systems and creating new value in supply chains. I think we live in an isolated area. It is quite easy to feel like you're not part of something bigger than your own farm. So I I certainly think peer-to-peer to support through a cooperative provides lots of opportunities and you know, there's lots of talk about the, the low uptake of R&D in particularly Northern Australia of, you know, beef R&D. I've got no doubt that if you look at the adoption of some of those processes through a cooperative, you are, you know, you're going to really accelerate that um, because people really value peer-to-peer to support. They want to know what, what other farmers are doing and how they're utilising technology. You know, that's a great way of fast-tracking, you know, different adoption um, techniques. So it creates a great community for farmers that certainly, um, you know, makes them better farmers. The irony about Emma's story is that in spite of being in such a remote area of Australia, through an academic scholarship, she travelled the world exploring and connecting with other farmers and their enterprises. She kept coming back to the cooperative model, though. That's the structure that seemed to stand out for Emma. And in this episode, she talks about why that was. Here's our host, renowned agricultural journalist, Pete Lewis. Enjoy. Let's get right into it. Let's get up towards Charters Towers in North Queensland. Eber Robertson is a cattle farmer in that neck of the woods and she spent several years studying various farm models. She's convinced that cooperative farming is the way forward for Aussie farmers and she has founded the Beef Collaboration Project Incorporated with a focus on enabling family farmers to leverage greater scale, optimise their production systems and create new value in beef supply chains. Welcome along, Emma. And by the look of it, you are coming from your uh, your kids' classroom on your property there near Charters Towers. Thanks, Pete. It's great to be here. Um, yes, my kids do school the air. Um, and this is where we get the strongest internet connection. So hence uh, why I'm in the classroom this afternoon. And I guess you must have watched with great interest as the rest of the country had to come to grips over the past six months or so with working from home and particularly schooling from home? Well, it was really business as usual for us, Pete. You know, we live in a fairly isolated area. So apart from a bit of, uh, you know, grocery shortages, the old toilet supply um, shortages that everyone experienced, um, for us, it was really business as usual. What is also business as usual is the up and downs of some pretty volatile seasons and going back over the last 12 months or so it's been a very character building time for the northern beef industry of which uh, you are smack bang in the middle of it if it's not drought it's floods and of course we uh, we, we mentioned the pandemic how have things been going for you 
Look, it's certainly been a tough period, I think, for, for graziers, um, particularly in the north. And I think like a lot of um, graziers, we've gotten really good at managing variability. So whether that be a lack of rainfall and, and really looking at how we better manage our grass or its price variability, and we're really looking at, you know, how we can maximise, you know, different prices in different markets. What we've certainly gotten better at is managing variability. So whatever the conditions, whether they be drought, flood, pandemics, you know, we're getting better all the time at managing to all those different changes. Where do your cattle go? Where do you aim them? What are you trying to produce? So we run an extensive grazing enterprise. We have about 55,000 hectares. So we've got two properties in the north and a property in central Queensland. And we're, we're, all, we're all grass fed. So we really target those grass fed markets. But as you'd know, in the north, sometimes it doesn't rain. So we're, we're looking at different markets all the time um, and looking to really optimise, you know, our production and also um, the markets to which we sell. So, you know, managing variability is really what we do. And I think it's, it's what we're getting pretty good at. Now, as I said in the introduction, you've been scanning the horizon, studying the business of farming and looking at various different options and different farming models. What got you interested in the cooperative approach? Well, I cut my teeth out of uni as, a, as an extension officer. And I guess pretty quickly, I saw the great value in farmers sharing knowledge, sharing insights and working together. So that's something that I've you know always been really passionate about. Now in our own grazing enterprise, I guess we've experienced, you know, firsthand some of the, the, the challenges that farm um, family farming enterprises face. So I guess key to that was, you know, 2014 with the shutdown of the live export markets, we, you know, magnified the issue of drought. You know, we were looking at, you know, six months to turn to get cattle into a, into a meatworks in the north. So we really felt like we were living life at the end of the food chain. And I guess in, the, in that period, you know, we used those insights and that frustration that we were feeling to really start thinking about, you know, is there more to simply being a producer of a product? And, you know, at that time, we were getting very low prices for cattle um, at a time when, you know, the, the beef market, the prices for beef um, were at world highs. And I guess we're seeing, you know, we're seeing, you know, the reverse of some of those trends at the moment, but it really highlighted the cyclical nature of the industry that we're in and really got us, you know, wondering about, you know, what can we do? We're passionate about where we are and what we do, but how do we, but there's got to be more to it. Um, to be here in the, in, the, in the long term, you know, to pass up our enterprise onto the next generation, we've got to be thinking outside simply being farmers, I think. And there's a great quote from Teddy Roosevelt and it says, you know, do what you can where you are with what you have. And I guess that's the approach we've taken. You know, how can we leverage what we've got? Um, so, you know, it's not about doing something completely different, but how can we leverage and, and build on what we're already, the great things that we're already doing. Now you were awarded a Churchill Fellowship, which I guess was another opportunity for you to think a little bit outside the square. You got a chance to study abroad. What did you pick up on that journey that really helped inform your approach and particularly hone you in on the cooperative approach. Absolutely. So I applied to the Churchill on the basis of that frustration that we were feeling in regards to, you know, um, profitability primarily. And I, I really wanted to see what other family farmers were doing around the world and how they were sort of leveraging profitability. You know, how were they making their businesses more profitable? So I spent three months looking at farming models in the UK, uh, in Canada and the US. And I saw lots of similar challenges to what we're facing in Australia, um, issues around, you know, scale, you know, processor consolidation, 
and long-term issues about the profitability of the family farm. And really, I guess from the, from them, and I didn't, I didn't seek out just cooperatives. I looked at lots of different models. But wherever I went, I certainly saw the cooperative structure, particularly in the UK and the US. You know, they have a history of cooperatives. Primarily, cooperatives has been used as a model to deal with, you know, a problem that they have. So when the, you know, when the local pub shut and they wanted to keep it open, they formed a cooperative to keep it open. When they needed power through the, through the, the US Midwest, they formed a cooperative and they made it happen. When they wanted to get cheaper fuel, they formed a cooperative and they made it happen. So cooperatives were through the landscape, um, really responding to issues that farmers had, not just farmers, um, you know, rural communities, issues that they had around wanting access to services that they couldn't otherwise get through mainstream business models. So I certainly saw cooperatives. I saw lots of examples of family farmers being in the supply chain. So not just selling to the supply chain, but being in the supply chain. And I also saw lots of examples of enterprises leveraging the value of the family farm. So that idea of the family farm being used as credit in terms of how they were marketing their products. So, you know, they were really, a lot of businesses were really leveraging their story on the idea that they were based on family farmers. So I really saw the credential, uh, the value of that. One quick example of a cooperative that I that I saw that I, I keep talking about because it's such a great example. So I turned up in a, in a small town in Kansas and had a meeting in a, in a very nondescript office, um, which was their cooperative headquarters. So there was a, a few meeting rooms, a couple of computers and a few staff. And this cooperative was turning off over 600,000 head of cattle to a major processor. So they formed, they were feedlotters, they formed because they were frustrated with the prices they were getting as small feedlotters. They aggregated their pool of cattle and they really went and knocked on processors' doors and asked how they could add value. And, and they were really interesting, not only because they were sig obviously significant producers running on a, you know, a very streamlined system, but they weren't about doing everything themselves. They were really looking for how they could add value. And I think that was a great example. And so from all of that insight, I guess I came back really passionate for the cooperative story and seeing that as a great vehicle, particularly for family farmers in leveraging new value on top of what they're already doing. If I've got the story straight, you've travelled the world, soaked up all that information, you turn yourself into the Wizard of Oz, click your heels, you're back in Charters Towers and you decide the next thing you're going to do is create something that you've called the Beef Collaboration Project. Tell us how that came together and what you wanted it to achieve. Yeah, well, that's right, Pete. I mean, you can't you can't do a Churchill Fellowship and have that insight and do nothing with it. I mean, you've got to take that leap and you've got to have a go. And I guess my having a go was, you know, forming the Beef Collaboration Project a number of years ago now. We were lucky that at the same time I was talking about cooperatives, a lot of other people were also talking about the power of cooperatives. So we got some really invaluable seed funding through the Farming Together program funded by the federal government. And that was invaluable and really establishing some capacity to lay the foundation so we've got a we formed a founding group of, of members and we started the process of you know building the business model around you know how can we leverage value so that was the question we were trying to answer um, what can we do differently to really leverage value and that was this really the start of the process everybody gets the idea that there is strength in numbers and yet you are in a business that is notorious for rugged individualists who like go their own way and do their own way 
what was the selling point? How did you how did you get them over the line? And 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 how hard was it to get them over the line and get them involved? Look, I think there are a lot of businesses like ours that are that are profitable businesses that are coming away fairly well, but looking for something more. And I think it's about tapping into those enterprises. So there's a group of people out there like us. You know, we, we don't count ourselves as a large producer. You know, we're not we're not really a small producer. We're in that middle ground. Producers like us humming away that are asking, what else is out there? How can we do more? And I think, you know, there are certainly a lot of producers out there that are getting bigger themselves and driving that opportunity themselves, you know, going into looking at value adding and and processing and marketing. But I think there's a lot of us in that middle that like that idea, but also like the idea of how can we share that journey? How can we leverage what we want to do collaboratively? And is there an opportunity to do that? So I think it's about tapping into those people that are in that middle ground that are looking for the next step beyond simply, you know, running their own farms. And how's it gone? Have Have you kicked the goals that you expected that you would? Look, I think even the, the fact that we that we could get 10 enterprises together talking about opportunities and starting to build the model is a huge win. We are certainly taking a, a long-term perspective. And so this isn't going to happen tomorrow. You know, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. So this is a hard slog and we're we're dealing with a lot of competing factors. But I've certainly never, I haven't had anyone tell me that that's, you know, it's a really dumb idea. I mean, I love listening to people's opinions about what we're doing and what's wrong with it. I I love hearing that because I think we've we've got to take on board that feedback and we've got to understand people's concerns. But I've really had no one say, you know, that that's not going to work. I think there's a couple of things that are happening around, you know, producers and where production's at. And then I think things are happening in the external environment that mean the timing's right for farmers to move beyond production and start really looking at opportunities outside their farm gate that can leverage what they're already doing, make them do what they're doing better, but also create new value in the supply chain. Yeah. One of the things we've uh, heard a number of times uh, in the course of this series is how generous other cooperatives are in sharing their hard-learned lessons. Did, did you reach out to any that were in your space or even some that were in completely different commodity sectors for a little bit of advice so that you didn't make the same mistakes they did when they set up? Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the values of of being a cooperative is is that cooperative community. And without a doubt, you know, I'm confident that I could ring the chair of any cooperative and they would talk to me about, you know, they would answer my questions, they would help me deal with any issue that we're dealing with. And I've done that. I've spoken to lots of different cooperatives, not just farming cooperatives, but, you know, across the board. And that support is certainly there. And I guess it certainly makes you feel that, you're part of something that's, you know, really quite significant and that's exciting. Now, in terms of identifying the people that you wanted to to work with and get involved in the the Beef Collaboration Project, how did you go through that process? Was it kind of just a natural extension of the relationships you already had in your area or were you looking for people to meet certain criteria and bring something to the table? To the organisation? We didn't have any set criteria. You know, we didn't do a public notice and invite people along. We really just used our own networks mm. and um, people kind of found us. We certainly put the idea out there and, and people that were interested approached us to be involved. And interestingly, we, you know, we attracted a certain kind of producer. You know, we attracted producers who, you know, have done other things. So, you know, a lot of the guys in our group have been involved in other fields. You know, we had, we had an accountant, we had a lawyer we've got a vet we've got different skills across the board so people that have 
bringing with them really interesting perspectives beyond simply, you know, production. And I guess we also got people that were looking for something else beyond simply producing. So I say to people that if you're, uh, you know, there's lots of low-hanging fruit in the beef industry production-wise to pick. You know, if if you're still picking that low-hanging fruit, well, that's where you're best focusing your efforts but if your business is humming along and, you, and you're profitable, then you're the kind of candidate that we want. So the, our model's not for everyone. I mean, I think that I think cooperatives are for everyone, but you know, it depends on the business model that's being developed. But certainly for us, we're about attracting a certain kind of producer. And the way we've gone about it is just by talking about our ideas and seeing, you know, who, seeing who turns up. And that seems to have worked really, really well in getting a group of members who have some really passionate and exciting ideas about what the opportunities are. We're talking with Pete Lewis and Emma Robinson, founder of the Beef Collaboration Project. Emma's story is one of startup. You know, how to get things going, how to speak to potential new members, the commitment required and how long that takes. As our Cooperative Farming podcast series continues. Look, there's been some eye-watering prices paid for beef in your neck of the woods in in the last little while. How do you corral that focus for them to be in for the long hill when they when they see wonderful opportunities, albeit short-term ones? How do you emphasise the fact for this to really work, we've got to be there through the good times and into the not-so-good times? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think certainly momentum has slowed because, you know, prices are so good. So I think, you know, most of us are making hay while the sun shines and we've, we've got to do that. This, this, is a, this is a big profit year. But as producers, you know, we're all still largely in the commodity game. We know that the price of commodity, you know, always falls to the lowest cost of production. So that means in low supply years, you know, we make money. So that's this year. We're in a fairly low supply year. That's driving prices up. We know in high supply years, we we lose money. You know, that was 2014. And we know in those middle supply years, we'll cover our costs. So we're trying to get out of that cycle. We're trying to look at, you know, value value beyond that cycle. And I think the reality is there are going to be times in the cooperative where there may be prices outside the cooperative that are higher, but you're certainly in it for the long term. You're certainly not committing all of your animals, you know, into into the cooperative. So you've got that flexibility. And you're also, um, our models, you know, not just about selling cattle and and selling beef. So we're looking at creating other value beyond simply selling an animal. And, And I guess that's where we focus in years like this year. There are other things the cooperative can offer. So the focus is very much on, you know, adding value, not simply sort of pulling animals and selling them. So that's, I guess, how we can manage those. And and I guess, you know, the other point is that, you know, these highs, it really illustrates the opportunity for supply chains to think differently about the way they connect. You know, while this is uh, this current high is great for producers, it's not so great for processors. And we need a model where we're all able to make a profit in a fairly, you know, in an enduring way. You know, our profit shouldn't be at the, the sake of, you know, someone further down the chain and vice versa. And one would suggest that the history of the Australian beef industry has tended to be that they've taken uh, short-term profits when they could at the expense of maybe some long-term relationships. Why is it, do you suppose, that cooperatives have tended to flourish Uh, more obviously and more successfully and more sustainably in commodities like dairy and grains and not so much in beef? 
So I think there's the obvious perishability issue. So, you know, dairy, you know, you, you can't hold your milk for another week. You know, it's, it's a perishable product. It's got to be sold. Whereas beef, you know, if you don't like the price this week, you can put them back in the paddock and see what you get next week or next month. I mean, I'd argue that that's changing now with the high value of animals and the specifications around carcasses. Once those animals are ready to go, you know, they've got to go. So I think traditionally, you know, the reason that there aren't as many cooperatives in, in beef has to do with primarily with processing and the, you know, the consolidation around processing. It's a very hard industry to get into. It's a very complex industry. It's very capital intensive. So it's all very well for a group of producers to say we want to sell our own, you know, our own beef. Uh, you've got to get access to a processing plant. Very hard to do that without a huge capital um, injection. So that is a, a that is a huge hurdle. That's different to say a horticultural cooperative where you might need to you know simply build a packing shed, which has less you know capital requirement. I also think you know the variability of our production systems in the north mean it is very difficult to commit to long term supply arrangements when you're really juggling you know the variability of of climate. So I think that's that's also a um, you know that's challenge but I also think what's happening now in the external environment is there's sort of external drivers around beef and the value around beef you know beef used to be you know the noun now it's all about the adjective of beef it's about the organic beef it's about the different breeds it's about the you know the values that consumers are looking for so things are changing branding's changing technology's changing you know the opportunities are evolving which start to open the door for a beef cooperative and those those sorts of things didn't exist 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I think, you know, historically, you know, that's why we haven't seen the beef co-ops. And I think there's also, you know, a school of thought that the fact that we are such, you know, rugged independent beings means that we, you know, we, we want to roll out of bed in the morning and do our own thing. You know, the idea of sort of having to align our business with others can be a challenge and, and still is. You know, I think that that historical, you know, character of farming and the farmer has played a role. Look, one of the things we've also heard in the course of this series is that farmers involved in, in cooperatives get an enormous kick out of seeing what they produce marketed and sold within their local community. They draw an enormous amount of satisfaction and pride from the whole community knowing that they've got a lot of skin in the game and that they are employing people in their area and producing something are worthwhile and the best quality they possibly can deliver. Is that something That's that right. and down I, the track yeah, that you want to really get get into? Absolutely. I think I think that idea is what initially gets people interested in the cooperative. You know, they want to sell their own beef. Mm. I guess the journey we've been on, while that might get people in the door, we pretty quickly realised you're not going to get there tomorrow. So we've looked at well, what can we control? What do we have control over? So we've looked at how can we create value in different ways? That sort of leads us towards getting to a point where we can start to, you know, optimise supply and get into the supply chain. And the second comment I'd make is that the idea of farmers selling their own product and being close to the consumer is, is really such a powerful one because, you know, sort of my key mantra is that, you know, it's family farming is, is, is more than just production. It's about all those other things. It's about integrity. It's about that commitment it's that community and the environment and if we don't as farmers leverage that value you know it's someone else in the supply chain that does and we know that it's the person closest to the consumer that can leverage the most value so if that's not a farmer or a farmer cooperative then it's someone else in the supply chain you know taking that value 
And I think that's why our, it needs to move beyond, you know, that ideal to it's a real business proposition and there's real value in, you know, building that model and taking that opportunity. You've obviously had a very clear purpose and you uh, have enjoyed the opportunity to not only study systems here but abroad. But I guess along the way there must have been some uh, very character-building tests as well. What are, what were some of the some of the obstacles that you needed to overcome and how did you go doing that and are you still trying to overcome them? Absolutely. I mean, this is a long-term, this is a long-term proposition and there's certainly been challenges. I think, you know, when you're living in a rural community and you're putting yourself out there with a vision, you're taking, you know, an enormous risk personally. So I think that takes a lot of courage. It's, that's hard work. That's not easy. I think in terms of a cooperative, there are some unique challenges. I think like any business where, you know, we've been in the start startup phase, we've been, you know, down in the, the trenches building the model. When you're doing that within a cooperative construct and looking at, you know, running a process democratically, you know, that can be challenging. You know, most startups are one or two people getting together and building the model. We've done it collaboratively. And so you're having some tough conversations and there's been frustrations and there's been people leave the group because it's been too time consuming. So there, you know, there are certain realities around that as there are in any business, you know, a cooperative, it's not unique in that sense. I think there's also the reality that we are all farmers running our own business. So this is this is a side hustle, if you like, in terms of what we're trying to do. You know, I'm not full time on the cooperative being paid away. So that's a real challenge. You know, you have to balance the realities of what you're already doing with the opportunities going forward. And that, you know, that's been a challenge. But, you know, we're still here and we're still, you know, very much optimistic about what the opportunities are. And have you found that there is a developing level of cooperative literacy among banks and financial institutions because sometimes they're a bit leery about how they can actually interact and who they're dealing with and uh, and things like that what's been your experience on that level we haven't taken it to the banks yet but you know i think you know it, it's getting harder to get a home loan so without a doubt you know it's going to be hard for cooperatives to also access that capital for us it's about and this is a challenge that i think but with beef cooperatives often have is if you're talking about processing, you're talking about that large capital injection. You know, in the US, I've seen models where cooperatives are, you know, raising capital through their through their members, through their shareholdings. They're then uh, getting their members to, to commit to delivery. And on the basis of that commitment, they're able to go to the banks and, and sort of leverage capital. Again, you know, as I said, that's difficult in the, in the North. Producers are very reluctant to commit long-term supply, you know, based on an, an, an uncertain price. So that's challenging. I think I think for us, it's about starting small. We've got seed funding. We're charging a subscription. We are looking at an initial, you know, founding shareholder class. So we're raising capital, you know, step by step funding our kind of mini enterprises and then leveraging that to take the next step. And I think the other thing I would say is that I think there are really non-traditional um, capital sources. So, you know, who's to say, you know, a McDonald's doesn't want to fund a beef cooperative, provide some seed funding for us to do some, some different projects or some different activities. You know, there's different opportunities beyond what banks can offer. So, you know, we, we're not looking for large uh, chunks of capital quite yet, but I, I don't think I'm put off by what the, the banks may or, or may not do. I think they're really the players out there that can play a role if you're able to create value. So it comes back to really what your offering is and how you're able to sustain that. And if that works, I think the capital will be there, whether it's through members, shareholdings, debentures, or whether it's through, you know, other 
banks and other players. Well, they went to extraordinary lengths during the Royal Commission to say these days that they've learned a lot of the lessons of the past of uh, how they treated particularly uh, regional, rural and remote parts of Australia and uh, allegedly they're all ears. Let's hope that's the case. So looking crystal ball gazing now, Emma, what, what do you see in the, uh, in the medium to long term? What, what we see is that we're very much, you know, doing what we're already doing in terms of our production business, but we're able to leverage new value. So we're buying our inputs collaboratively. We're sharing the cost of some of the systems that we're introducing on our, on our property, such as our OHS systems, our labour systems. So we're reducing our costs. We're also looking at, you know, data and how we use technology and how we can leverage the data between members. And hopefully, you know, down the track, we're actually optimising our cattle supply and looking at how we can either work differently with existing processes or start to get into the value chain in our own way and branding our own beef and marketing it. One of the things we've heard also during the course of this uh, exercise, this series, is that the longer that people are involved in cooperatives and the more collaboration that they are part of and the more mentoring that they see, they actually do a better job on their own place. They tend to lift a cog and uh, they tend to be probably slightly more optimistic about the future as well. Has that been your experience? Uh, absolutely. I think we live in an isolated area. It is quite easy to feel like you're not part of something bigger than your own farm. I certainly think peer-to-peer -to -peer to support through a cooperative provides, you know, lots of opportunities. And, you know, there's lots of talk about the, the low uptake of R&D in particularly Northern Australia of, of you know, beef R&D. I've got no doubt that if you look at the adoption of some of those processes through a cooperative, you know, you're going to really accelerate that because people really value peer-to-peer -to -peer support. They want to know what, what other farmers are doing and how they're utilising technology. And that, you know, that's a great way of fast-tracking, you know, different, different adoption um, techniques. So absolutely, I think it's a great, it creates a great community for farmers that certainly, um, you know, makes them, makes them better farmers. Emma, it's been terrific talking to you. We really appreciate the opportunity for you to join us today from the kids' classroom. It's for obviously school holidays in the great state of Queensland, so they're yes. off obviously <laughs> doing far more interesting things. It's fantastic that the strongest signal in your house is in the schoolroom. I think there's a message in that for all of us. Thanks so much for your time and your insights. It's been really good to have you back on uh, Cooperative Conversations and uh, all the very best for the Beef Collaboration Project. Sounds like you're on the right track. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for your time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Emma is really at the beginning of the cooperative journey. She's building a membership base. If you're interested in starting or joining a co-op, you can't miss a great roundtable where Emma and I were joined by some respected ag leaders to talk about the importance of the people factor, the membership base of a co-op. It doesn't matter if you're big or small – Often the most crucial part of forming and growing a cooperative is engaging with your membership. Here's a taste from John Seacom from the Northern Cooperative Meat Company. They're called the Casino Food Co-op now. Well, I think it's a simple formula, Pete, in that uh, communication is the uh, name of the game at the end of the day. Sure, we offer a service. We try to be price competitive on our service delivery. But at the end of the day, uh, people need to believe in what you do. You need to communicate what's, what's happening in the business. Uh, and engagement 
Yeah, I mean, that's a new thing for us. We've only really undertaken that in the last uh, three or four years and been very, very encouraged by the uptake of members of some of our programs we're delivering to improve on-farm productivity, to improve environmental outcomes and also to understand the supply chain. You can watch this excellent roundtable on demand by going to our conversations page on coopfarming.coop. Don't forget to subscribe now to the Cooperative Farming podcast series and please rate us. It really does help others find the podcast series. I hope you're inspired to find out more about the fantastic benefits of cooperative farming and how to realise the incredible potential for your own business as we future-proof Aussie farmers. Join us at coopfarming.coop. And in our next podcast, we talk with Kerry Murphy. She's Secretary of TAFCO Rural Supplies in Victoria. Remember, in a challenging world, we're all better together. I'm Melina Morrison. Thanks for listening.